Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Joining me on this Monday, as he does, Alex Hollings. Alex, what's going on, man? How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. I am. I love Christmas time. Yes. So I'm like both anxiously counting away the days until Christmas, but also hoping that it'll slow down so that I have an excuse to be in a good mood for a bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you like Christmas so much? You know, I couldn't tell you. When I was growing up, my parents always made a real big deal out of Christmas. So maybe that's part of it. But like as an adult, I love Christmas time, but I hate Christmas Day because, uh, you know, both of my parents uh, were divorced. My wife's parents were divorced. So for a long time, uh, Christmas Day just meant like a day I had to spend seven hours in the car traveling between passive-aggressive parents' houses. Uh, but this year is the first Christmas of my adult life that I am going to stay home for it. So really? I am more excited about Christmas than I have ever been. What a big boy. Yeah, you know, it, <laughs> I had to ask my wife's permission. You know, I was like... Is it okay? Yeah, can can we please... You know, her, her family lives uh, way up north, so we never see her family on Christmas in these past few years. But we always do see mine. My mother and my older brother both live here in Georgia. And I was like, hey, I had an idea. I was thinking maybe on Christmas instead of going to see my brother and then going to see my mom and then getting home at 11 o'clock at night where Reagan has slept in the car ride and now won't go to bed until 3. How about instead we just stay home? And uh, at first she was a little reluctant to you know, to, to give me the green light, but she didn't exercise her veto authority. I haven't told my family yet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm excited anyway. I'm, I can't wait. I'm going to drink hot chocolate and eat food all day. I can't wait. <laughs> At what point – well, let me tell you. The trump card is you have the granddaughter, right? That's what I thought, right? That's it. I, Look, you I always see said once we have a baby, we yeah. don't have to travel anymore. That's the truth. But, but again, I think the first couple of years you do and then you kind of say, you know what? This is a lot, and Christmas is supposed to be a fun day, and it's really just a lot of work. And so I think we need to make some adjustments here, and then uh, it sorts itself out. But, yeah, you have the prize. You have the grandkid. Yeah, and I and I want to make Christmas all about her. I want to spoil the hell out of her so that she leads the rest of her life unhappy and unable to find a man that will – uh, fulfill her in marriage because she'll just always be like, "Well, my dad spent my dad this much it. money on Christmas." Yeah, and, yeah that's uh, exactly. My wife is not hey, down for her to live in my basement forever. But that's I, um, exactly the kind of daughter you want to raise. What? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what? Um, so, when do you think you'll tell your family? Yeah, it's a great question. I haven't really thought about that yet. I, uh, I don't want to tell them. <laughs> So I, uh, I guess I should probably let them know pretty soon. I guess. Well, you Maybe don't need to. You could always, hey, you show, could so. always surprise them on Christmas Day. You know, that's. I think it would be a great Christmas surprise to not that's have a to listen total to shout about China. That's a total piece of shit move, right? <laughs> My mom loves your show, though, so she's probably she, listening, and now I don't have to tell her. This is perfect. Let's hope she didn't find that dagger to the heart out on this program. I try to be like a beacon of hope in somebody's day, not a... Ah, but it's a beacon of hope in mine. <laughs> not, not a version of Darth Vader roaming around. Right no, the, I absolutely love my family. I really do. That's I just, what, like, I that's love what everybody says when they blow them off for Christmas. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> my favorite thing in the world is pajamas. So. What? <laughs> This is Anytime your... I can justify wearing them all day. So Christmas, normally it's kids that are pretty selfish that love Christmas. Yeah, I think that's that's probably accurate. <laughs> that's probably apt for me. Yeah. I... <laughs> Actually, my wife and I, for the, I have agreed that we're not going to get each other Christmas presents this year because we always say we're not going to, and okay. then we both buy the other one something that we probably shouldn't have. So instead, we're gonna we're gonna take a trip. Uh, oh wow. Coronavirus going? willing, but we're probably just going to rent a cabin in the woods. It's over, man. Vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> Your cabin in the woods. You're going to go back to the arson days. Oh, that, I miss. I miss the days of. 
being able to know for sure if there was someone in my yard that I could shoot them. Yeah, like the arsonist that you didn't know was there that set your house on fire that you never caught? That guy? Ah, but now I have much better security <laughs> systems. I have overlapping systems. It's worth the risk to get out of an HOA. I'm serious. Well, you know what? That's probably true. That's probably true. So your mother's been um, – your mother's been now informed, so expect to have that interesting conversation – um, what else is, uh, what else is going on in life? Anything, uh, um, everybody healthy, everybody doing all right? Yeah, things are going good on my end. You know, my mom, I, uh, will hopefully be one of the first people in line to get the vaccine when it gets here. Right. Uh, for those who, who don't know, my mom's an infection control nurse who works in a nursing home who was supposed to retire last year, uh, but hung on for a little bit longer just to kind of sure up her savings. And then the coronavirus hit. And she has since refused to retire because there's a shortage of nurses that do what she does. And plus, uh, so she's making a ton of cash, right? I'm sure she's How making much a lot of money. She just year. turned up. I mean, I mean, she worked a 12 hour shift on Thanksgiving Day. I have oh to think my God. that, you know, that you get time and a half or something. Yeah. Right? And or, when you're making $200 an hour, that's no bullshit, right? You know, and that's that's what I told my wife. Uh, you know, when I said my mom wouldn't, we wouldn't see her for Thanksgiving because she was working. And my wife was like, "Wow, things must be really bad." And I was like, "That, or she just wants a Corvette." Or, you know, exactly. It's tough exactly. To say. Let me tell you, I, um, when I was a, I was bagging groceries in 1977, 1978, something like that. I was, I was going to junior college. We and both got our start bagging groceries. It's cool to know. Yeah, and uh, and so this is back in the day when you you know you have you know you bagged them in paper bags, and you know you put them in the cart and you walked them out to the you know you walked it if they needed help you walked with them and then you put the groceries in their trunk. Let me give everybody some advice. If you ever get into that business, never ask this question. So when is your baby due? Oh, no. Let me tell you, because that's – if you ask that early into the walk, that's a long, long walk, a long, silent walk. Yeah, I, I, I feel like just as a general rule of thumb, never ask. Even if she looks like she's nine months pregnant, Don't she's going to burst at any moment. But who knew Probably, that? You know, that did you know that? Did you know that before you did it? I don't think that I knew that until I was already an adult. Yeah. yeah. I think I think it was probably around when my wife was pregnant is when I learned, don't, no, you don't ask about that. You don't that. speculate on that. I didn't know it, that. And I was just trying to be, you know, you know, the word, the stinging words, I'm not pregnant. Yeah, that's that hung out there a little bit in the air. Um, but I learned. Well, but, well, then your skin is just that good because you're glowing. That's what I. Oh my god. That's what tipped me off. Oh, I was mortified. Can you imagine as a as a I don't know, nineteen year old kid, twenty year old kid, something like that. I guess you know? so. As far as times go, to learn that lesson, that was a good time. You yeah. know, you didn't learn it in a job interview. You, you know, you didn't learn it <laughs> in the middle you. of a counseling. It was good. Yeah, I learned it in the middle of a parking lot outside of Rayleigh's in northern uh, the. In the north end of Sacramento. Yeah, I'm actually – I'm interested to get your take on this because in recent years, it's been going around the internet. This uh, – I guess it's a meme of sorts where people say uh, returning your cart or your buggy as people down here tend to call it to the cart corral is indicative of how good a member of society you are. Uh, if you don't return your cart to the cart corral out in the parking lot, then that shows that you're not willing to do even the least bit of effort to kind of support – society. And I totally don't agree. When my job was to go get those carts, my favorite part of the workday was the half an hour I got to kill <laughs> wandering around the parking lot, just bringing carts in. Yeah. And I, I just, I, let me make a comment about that. You know, I see these like at Target, they have these machines that actually push those carts. Cheaters, right? These right. Guys cheaters. I look at them like, boys, let's man up. All right. Part of being a I man. It's like I was pushing the sled. <laughs> exactly. Players. You drop your hips, right? You yeah. extend your arms because you can't, you can't push it with any other way. They won't move. There's too many of them. And you know down to like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. If I put two more, I just say this thing ain't going to move. Yeah. And so that machine, exactly I'm like, come on, push. Man. Like, what is that? Like now, now anybody. So like being a bag boy at a grocery store or a bag girl, like anybody could do that, right? You Although got that. I like to think I was very good at it. I was, course. I was like commando bag boy because I could shove those carts. I was 
Once I, I learned, took personal pride in making sure that your stuff was bagged before you paid for the stuff. So that once, way you were never sitting on me. Once I learned um once I learned not to ask certain questions. <laughs> yeah. I was <laughs> I was you know, let me tell you, that still scars me. Is that one of those things that, you know, when you're when you're trying to go to bed at night and your brain is intent on keeping you up, is that one of those things that pops up? No, but it's there. I mean, let me see. I'm 63, so that would have been 43 years just call, ago. Just call it 22. Just call it 22. You know? <laughs> 43 years but, ago. Approximately 43 years, I'm mortified. And if that woman's listening, I'm still so sorry still I said sorry. that. I don't know why the fuck I would say that. What possessed me to say that? I don't know. I'm sorry. It's one of those socially awkward situations, oh, though. Moder- moderately. I, I would say very similar uh, to like when you first start a new job or you're still in the interview process and you get invited out to lunch uh, from the interviewer. Yeah. And uh, it's the same thing. It's like this awkward, I know we're supposed to be personable right now, but I don't know anything about you. Right. And you uh, might and you might rat me out for being me. So hi. Yeah, I will never forget in Seps and Taps being told not to salt my food at an interview lunch before tasting it, or hiring managers wouldn't hire me. And then when I became a hiring manager, I was like, "Who the hell came up with that?" Let me tell you, uh, that thing needs just a few rim shots in it, right, to be straight up stand up comedy. Yeah, it like, really I mean, does. Where did these rules come from? Who makes this shit? The- I, you know, I have a I have a theory, and I don't oh use God. the name, but uh, because it's a little mean. But I know a number of people who work in academia, uh, who work in administration at schools, where yeah. they are hiring resource officers, where their job is to help you make sure your resume is ready to get out into the workforce and offer you suggestions and maybe networking. Yeah. Uh, you know, Maybe they know someone in the industry that you're trying to work in. Yeah. And all three of the people I know holding these roles have never had a real job. <laughs> they went to school for their bachelor's degree. Well, you know, the old sa- you, know what, hey, you know what the old saying is? Those who can't do. To teach. Is that why I want to be a teacher? Exactly. <laughs> no, sense. you're not. No, look, you've, uh, you've, you're accomplished, right? I, I, I suppose. I have, I have successfully built a pretty high house of cards. Yes. Yeah. Over and over. <laughs> you put up a number, man. You've done it. We're talking about people that st- try that and like really, really were not fond of the experience. So let me go teach people how to do this <laughs> so I never have to. Now, that's opposed to people who, who have a track record and then go become lecturers or things like that. That's different. Which, we're honestly, talking. were some of my best teachers. I, I 100% Hello, agree. Hello, right? Yeah. The um, I was talking about I don't understand response to COVID. Um, so I read – in fact, you would – I'll read this to you because I know it will make your heart happy. Okay. A friend of mine sends me a link. I click on it. And this is about pandemic data, right? And it's from the Sentinel. I don't recognize it. It's from Kansas Kansas City, Missouri, Sentinel. And then the uh the subheadline is holding media and government accountable. So, I immediately click on, right? Um the about tab to find out who they are. Good um, idea. Good move. Right. The Sentinel is an online 501c3 nonprofit news service. We began publishing in January 2017. We hold government and mainstream media accountable for providing complete, accurate, and unbiased information so that citizens can make their own informed decisions on matters of public policy. Our efforts. I are- mean, that sounds good to me. I like that. Well, but you know, that's. That's boilerplate for some bad people, right? Uh, that is exactly what every independent news organization <laughs> exactly. uh, includes. Every wacko news organization puts that up there. Our efforts are primarily focused on state and local government here in Kansas. We accept no government money and rely strictly on contributions from our readers and to support our work. Our approach, in addition to original reporting, the Sentinel examines statements from state and local government officials and mainstream media outlets providing supplemental information so that readers are better able to make their own informed decisions about matters of public policy. Our reporters are particularly testing for accuracy. Are the facts accurate and independently verifiable? 
full context are stories presented in the appropriate context. For example, claims that funding is being cut when, in fact, funding is just not growing as fast as some prefer. Bias, if viewpoints are included, are opposing viewpoints given equal consideration? Are reporters injecting their own viewpoint into the story? So I read that. I'm like, okay, they're obviously writing that with me in mind. And so um, I have this thing in my head that, you know, Dr. Fauci, the beloved Dr. Fauci, has been predicting that, you know, this winter would be very difficult, right? Worse than the spring. And he's been predicting that for some time. Yet the mercy went home, the comfort went home, all this surge capacity was never replicated or I don't think even discussed publicly relative to this bigger problem that was going to happen in the winter. And so I look at the numbers. Uh, Senior living facilities in Kansas, if you get COVID, you have an 89.8% survival rate. Okay. If you're everybody else in Kansas, you have a 99.4% rate of survival. So when we're sitting in the planning session this summer about this winter, and we're going to talk about, you know, our, you know, our, our, our plan that we'll be executing, do we not have a discussion about surge capacity? Because this, if this, if and when this happens, we need to be able to accommodate this because we're not going to we're not going to shut down the businesses when there's a 99.4% survival rate in the general population and so i uh, and then somebody just sent me a text message they said earlier those hospitals that were built were are still up you know i my old company built them and then he said this um Update, 10 Hospital at Stony Brook, I believe that's in New York, has no heat, cannot be used in the winter, apparently only good for the summertime. So, what the hell, man? I don't know. Give me your, Honestly, give me your latest I, thoughts on COVID. I, I just, I, 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 have you seen the video of a guy, actually he's a former Marine, I found out, um, in Northern California that stands up in front of the county commission and says, hey, we aren't going to stand for this much longer. Have you seen that video? I haven't, no. Oh, I'll send it to you. And then I start I start looking for him, and I, actually I have to find out his real name, which I do. Former, former Jughead. Yeah. And he's expressing the sentiment, we can't do this. We're losing our businesses. We're losing everything we've ever worked for as you pull down your full salaries. And you're asking us to pay the price for this when there's a 99-plus percent survival rate to this. And so give me your thoughts on all of this. You have a mother that works in with at-risk population in the nation. Um, you've been watching this. Talk to me. Well, first and foremost, I think one of the biggest problems in the United States uh, specifically that we faced with COVID is our country's real love affair with national solutions to local problems. Yeah. So in the United States, if you don't like uh, guns, you push for a federal gun legislation. If you don't like how social media works, you push for federal social media regulation. And if you don't like how the coronavirus works, you push for national mask initiatives, national lockdowns. The problem with national solutions for a country as big as the United States is that they usually don't make a whole lot of sense. What makes sense in Harlem does not usually make sense in rural Montana. So when you pass blanket legislation or you create blanket solutions to all of the problems, what you're really doing is creating a solution usually for the population centers that everyone else just kind of has to tolerate. Right. And doesn't, and doesn't live with, and doesn't do it by the way. Exactly. Exactly. So on, when it comes to firearms, what you're doing is you're trying to pass a law that makes it more difficult to have a firearm in Washington, DC or in Atlanta. Uh, but the second and third order effect is really complicating the lives of ranchers in Nebraska. Right. Or not Uh, because they have guns. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So conversely with COVID, 
when we try to have these big national initiatives, when you keep hearing people talking about why hasn't Fossey, you know, pushed for a national mask mandate? Why hasn't Trump pushed for a national mask mandate? A big reason why is because huge swaths of the United States aren't dealing with this problem or aren't faced with this problem to the same level as other areas, right? In Atlanta, you're going to get harder hit than you will in rural Dawsonville. Okay, let me it's ask just you this. A fact of life. All right, <clears throat> Joe Biden is sworn in as president. The first thing he says in his inauguration speech is, as of this second, there is a national mask mandate. Put them on. Give me the two-word response that you will hear uh, most often if we were playing Family Feud. Well, I mean, I think most often is a tough one to say. Uh, the country oh, really I'll give it to you. Hey, fuck off, man. <laughs> right? Honestly, though, I will say this. And, and this is coming from – I try really hard to be middle of the road on this stuff. But the people who have been saying fuck off to the masks all this time no. have not helped make anything better. No, no, no. What I'm saying is the national mandate right, for the mask. I'm not saying – look, let me tell you. There's a time and a place for everything. Exactly. I believe exactly. that. Right? And that's the problem America has right now is that everything is either an upvote or a downvote. It's either I'm all in or fuck off when the truth is neither of those – extreme solutions never make much sense, yeah. right? Yeah. Telling everybody that you need to wear a mask the minute you leave the door probably doesn't make any sense. But also telling everybody that I'm not going to wear a mask no matter where I am – also, doesn't make any sense. How about people? Americans hey, how are about so people when they're out, like walking outside, wearing masks, or when they're alone in their own car? You you, you see them drive by, and you do see it. But like, you know what, though, this is how I feel like, about that. That guy's not hurting anybody. No, just, you're right. Hey, man, to each his own. If you want to be an idiot, that's not harmful. Right. I take a lot less issue with you than when you want to be an right. idiot. That is. No, no, no. At no time, though, right? Will this order? preclude the application of common sense in its execution and that's that's what americans this is what i've been so that was in the nuclear weapons security order you know because people would do crazy shit like well it says this we must do this i had marines there's a two-man rule means when you're guarding nuclear weapons and you're moving them two people have to be there watching so i get there and the marines are facing inboards looking at each other Right. I'm watching this. And I said, why are they looking at each other? Well, sir, if that guy goes crazy and shoots the weapon, this guy will know. I'm like, so do you, do you guys think that's how a nuclear weapon detonates? <laughs> well, and so, and so I was like, yeah, but we know that guy, right? He's our friend. He's in the PRP program. That guy, look, that guy signs his, his signature on a check wrong. He's gone off the ship. That's all you need. We don't even need a reason to launch his ass, right? Okay, so we're not really, he's not really the problem. It's everybody else. So, yeah, you can glance at him every once in a while to make sure that yeah, he hasn't means thrown his rifle down and deserted his post. But we're really worried about everybody else. And, oh, by the way, do you know that a 5.56 round cannot detonate a nuclear weapon, sir? I mean, a 5.56 round can't even <laughs> kill a moose, sir. <laughs> like, right? And then it's like, so so I had to go through that order, like, where are they finding this? Sir, it's in the ComNav air pack, blah, 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 blah. And so I'm looking, I'm like, oh, my God. Do you, first of all, everybody understand this. Nothing in this order should, what was it, should preclude the application of common sense. And what does that say? Look, there's going to be situations, understand the order, understand its intent, and then Apply the intent, not simply the specifics to every stupid situation. But oh my God. Oh my God. That's honestly one of the most essential lessons to learn in the military. I, you know, we, we saw it every day, just about every day when I was on funeral honors details. For anybody who has ever seen a, a Marine funeral detail or participated in one, there's an entire manual that we need to adhere to when we're performing the folding of the flag, when we're presenting it uh, to the next of kin, the way that we behave and where we stand prior to the ceremony beginning, all of that is laid out in a manual that absolutely does not work for 90% of funerals. The idea is supposed to be that as an NCO who's in charge of a funeral detail, you know that manual so well 
that when the circumstances dictate that you cannot adhere to the regulations, that you bend them in such a way that keeps the, the general intent of the order intact. You might not be able to stand on either end of the casket. There might be a gravestone on one end. It might be an elevated podium. You may not necessarily be able to have the buglist off the casket's left shoulder. You know, these are things that are in the manual that you're supposed to adhere to. But then when you get there on the day. Isn't it called the bugler? Uh, I, I couldn't. It's not even a bugler. It's a it's a bugle with a speaker in it. And no, someone pushes a button on the it. The bugle machine. The bugle machine and the lance corporal who holds it. Does somebody uh, stand there and put the bugle to their lips or do we just absolutely. hold? Yeah. Oh, we do? I, uh, I love that. As a junior Marine, I had a number of family members come to me when I was on bugle duty to tell me what a beautiful rendition of taps that I played. And you you really can't correct them at that point. You no, just kind of have no. to. Is it a, time and a, a time and a place for everything, right? Thank you absolutely. very much. In fact, uh, at one point while I was on bugle duty, the battery and the bugle died halfway oh, through taps. Oh, no, no, uh, no. So no. I made the command decision to pass out. You fainted? I just fell down. The Marines came over and picked me up, and they said he had locked his knees. Uh, you know, don't worry. He's fine. We got him back in the vehicle. Really? And you were just covering up for the battery? Just covering up for a bad bugle. After that, we made sure to <laughs> test every bugle uh, prior you think? to a funeral. Let's, yeah. Let's fire in a new battery. The um, I did ceremonial stuff when I was on the aircraft carrier. We did a – I can't remember if it was Veterans Day or Memorial Day ceremony in Coronado. So the firing detail um, and uh, and the, the color guard that we have. Honestly, that's tough because we, we rehearsed constantly, which made it all fairly second nature to us. But for guys like you who have a job you're doing every day, yeah. that's a real tough thing to step in and spin up on. Uh, yeah, but you know how Marines are, right? Somebody's mm -hmm. either been to the drill field or wants to go there. Right, and they're so fired up about it, and they have those poor son of a bitches out there for like nineteen hours a day doing close order drills, yes. right? And they're just wearing the shit out of them because By the time let me tell the you, ceremony actually happens. Their shoulders are too tired to hold oh the rifle God. in front. Of them anyway. If you want to see irrational Marine Corps at its finest, it, like just watch something that involves drill. Yeah, you know, it's great. Yeah. So out we go, and you know I'm there. As the uh, a first lieutenant, as the OIC, and but they're doing their thing, right? I'm there as, you know, pretty much in case something goes wrong, <laughs> that, that I'll be there to talk to somebody about it. And so, in the middle of the ceremony, right, everybody at parade rest, right, with their rifles, color guards standing there, with I think uh, the colors are like uh, uh, on the ground, like being held by the right shoulder, yeah, at the right shoulder, right, kind, kind of right shoulders color. I don't know if there is a command for that, but that's what it looks like. And the fucking sprinklers go on. The rainbird sprinklers go on. They come out, and and the Marines don't move, right? And this one sprinkler starts at the leftmost guy right in the fucking chest. And they don't break the position of parade rest. And it goes no, you do not. right through all five or six of them. And they just, and the people loved it. They, after it was all said and done, right? So then after, after they get shot once, right, the, you know, the, the sergeant who was the NCOIC of the detail, like, ah, 10, right, face, forward, march. And they just, and they march off, right? Well and, done. That's how you do right, it. Right. That's how you do it. Oh, my God. At the end of the thing, people were like, they loved it. Look at those Marines standing there, not even moving an inch, just getting smoked by that fucking rainbird. You know, the, the best I have ever seen of that was uh, – I, I it was during Marine Week Boston, and the silent drill team was performing – and an insane hailstorm picked up right as they were marching out onto a football field. Right. And I was really impressed. They came out silently as they do. Uh, the, their, their platoon sergeant literally gave one order and they just about faced and walked right back off as though that was the whole ceremony. It was incredible how <laughs> effective they were at without giving many vocal commands, just getting the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> Although the funniest thing that ever happened to me sort of like that at a funeral was uh, I was standing – you know, every religion has a different 
order in which they go through their funeral ceremony. Yeah. Uh, the Freemasons, for instance, would have oh. us execute funeral honors first so that we could leave because they didn't want us to see their ceremonies. On the other end of the spectrum, the Catholic Church tends to do a lot of stuff before we execute our ceremonies. So at a Catholic uh, funeral, you end up standing at the position of attention near for the casket while. for a long time, you know, it may be an hour or two. Mm-hmm. And uh, so th- the funeral, I believe it was I, I would say some iteration of Catholic because a great deal of the ceremony was in Latin. Uh, so we're basically just standing there waiting for you know the priest to, to finish his shtick and then give us the nod to start ours. Uh, when all of a sudden storm clouds just erupted above us, started pouring rain, and a huge thunder strike happened. And I will never forget the priest stopping closing his book angrily and shouting, you wait until I'm finished at the sky Oh, before opening the Bible again and completing the ceremony. I'm pretty sure I watched a priest yell at God. He he commanded the heavens? He said, you wait until I'm finished, pointing at the sky. And I swear, with all sincerity, nobody laughed. Nobody laughed? It was not a joke. I do not know what specific, uh, I don't know, religion they might have been, what sect of Christianity. But that was the one of the hardest times maybe I ever had to the keep my del- Maybe the delusional sect of Christianity. Seriously, right? Like in what, in what form yeah. of Christianity are you allowed to shout at God? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it works like that. The- you know, we did – I probably did three funerals a week for four years. So the vast majority of them, to be honest, were incredibly pleasant. You know, when someone's led a really long life and then, you know, when their death isn't entirely unexpected and they've, you know, they're older, their family can all be there for them. A lot of times funerals are not as somber an occasion as you might think. No, I mean, it's the only time anybody ever shouted at God. Yeah, it's a celebration, right, of of really a, a life you know, well-lived. And a lot of those families have not had a whole lot of contact with the Marine Corps in years, decades, that probably. That was so important to me, right. honestly. And, yeah. and all of a sudden, these Marines, who always look fantastic, they show out, they show up, and they're, um, they're amazing. And I cannot uh, tell you how seriously Marines doing this job take that oh, job, you know? Right. I mean, my daughter's a great example. She's a good example of someone who obviously is very close to me but has never seen me in uniform you know she was born after i got out of the marine corps so when the day does come uh that they're burying me uh that might be my daughter's first and only in person exposure to right. to the marine corps in that sort you know we, i'm sure i'll take her on a base at some point or something along those lines but the military life the marine corps is a foreign concept to her and it means the world when people take that seriously yeah. And want to represent the core or whatever branch, you know, uh, you know, every branch does their own. Uh, the detail is effectively the same, though there are variances in it. And I don't always really appreciate the way the army executes. But uh, what's important is that you're there for the family. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you necessarily for the fallen. If you want to see Marines turn into snide assholes. Um, be not good Anything at, cool. yeah, be not good at ceremonial stuff in public. Yeah. And you'll yeah. see Marines just like, what is this? Well, the secret that Marines know that most other branches don't is that confidence works wonders, even when you're incompetent. And, uh, when you're on a board, like a meritorious board and you know, you don't know the right answer, just, you know. Johnson, as confident as I could. Swag with confidence, right? Yes. Sweet ass guest. And you drop your rifle, you pick it up in a drill movement. You make it seem as though dropping that rifle was a coordinated and intentional act. And now I'm going to pick it up as ceremoniously as possible. Well, you know, that's that's an eighth and eye trick. You see them spin rifles and stuff like that. And when they're dropped, you'll see, right? The sergeant, most of the time, that's out there spinning in front of somebody, right? You see the, you know, him or her, you know, stop and just stare, right? They stare at the face, into the eyes, into the eyes of the person who threw it to him. No matter whose fault it was, this is the shtick, right? And then, then you'll see him slowly look down at the rifle, and then they snap their head back up, like, 
how could you, right? And then yeah. you see the, – and then at the end of it, you're like, did they do that on purpose? Is that, was, that, was that part of it? And then they go right back. And then everybody's like, God, that was a really cool part of it. Like, is that on purpose? Like, Right? No, no. We don't drop rifles on purpose. I, I was there when, I, when President Bush was there, uh, the elder. And they dropped a rifle for the, I heard the first time in like 12 years. And the, and and the and the Marines were the Marines were mortified. Oh God. And yeah. President Bush asked to see the both Marines of all. I want to talk to him. And he had this, you know, he's had you know, he had this wonderful manner and they had this like ten minute conversation. And uh and they were just like so apologetic, sir, we haven't done that in forever. And he's like, Hey man, I don't even know how you do that stuff. Let alone how you don't drop it right? on a regular yeah. basis. Um, and, uh, no, it was, uh, but, but again, when you see it, you, you do think like, was that on purpose or was you know, that? And a I used to mistake? tell new Marines that were going to their first, cause your first funeral detail is not a somber occasion. It is a terrifying one. Right. You know, uh, you are so worried about screwing up and embarrassing yourself and your unit in front of these people. But the first thing I'd always tell people is none of the folks in attendance know what this is supposed to look like. So as long as you're confident, as long as you're professional and you keep your bearing, you could screw up a dozen times and nobody may notice. So just keep your head in the game. It doesn't much – do what you're supposed to do. But if you make a mistake, keep a short memory. Forget all about it because they did too. Just like you said, uh, you know, George H.W. Bush said, I don't know how you guys do that in the first place. And, you know, and again, actually, they're so – they're so appreciative of you just being there and what it adds to um, what it adds no, I'm, to. I'm still uh, friends on Facebook with right. a number of, of, you know, of mothers, fathers, next of kin that, uh, that I met. When you do a next of kin notification, which is the worst job, yeah. uh, as the enlisted guy, you usually don't end up interacting with that family much. They interact with the chaplain and the officer more so than you. As the enlisted guy, you're effectively a driver, right? Uh, but with funeral honor details, on the other hand, the staff and COIC of the funeral detail is the point of contact right. for the detail, which means you engage with that next of kin regularly and frequently over the phone. Uh, and I mean, a lot of times you end up kind of establishing a bit of a relationship with these people because for some of them, they don't know anything about the military and they're just really grateful that you're there. For others, they know a ton about the military and they want to be involved in how you're going about putting the detail together. Uh, I don't. It, for me, it was genuinely one of the most meaningful things I got to do in the Marine Corps. My time on funeral honors and also while I was in Africa uh, helping build schools and such, we happened to have some members of the Marine Corps band out there because of the – the U.S. ambassador to Mozambique was coming out for an event. And uh, as luck would have it, the Marine Corps band knew a song that all the students at the school knew the words to. And uh, getting to be there while they all performed together was – I think those are my two kind of peak Marine Corps moments in my career. Wow. wow. But you know, to go back to what you were saying about George H.W. Bush, I actually had a chance uh, to hang out with his son Marvin Bush uh, a few weeks ago for a while. I honestly didn't know – initially that Marvin Bush was the son and brother of American presidents. He's such a chill guy. Uh, we were zooming and having a conversation. He introduced me to his puppies. Uh, and then I got a message from the CEO of my company, uh, saying, Hey, you know, Marvin's George Bush's son, right? And I was like, excuse me. <laughs> now I suddenly feel uncomfortable calling him Marvin. Uh, super, super cool guy. And, uh, the way he talks about his father's love, for the military and uh, and the way he talks about how important the military was to George H.W. Bush throughout his administration uh, and the fact that he – the only time he saw his father cry was when his father lost the presidency and it wasn't about losing. It was because he was genuinely concerned that Bill Clinton wouldn't have the same – you know, love and care for the military that he had, you know, having served in World War II. And uh, I, I got to say, I, I always respected George H.W. Bush, but my image of him has gotten even bigger uh, after getting to meet his son, who's also genuinely a really good dude. Wow, listen to you waving the flag today. 
Yeah, right? I mean, that's kind of what I do for a living. I pretty much just get yelled at by people who like Russian airplanes on Twitter. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty much what I do. Is that what you've been reduced to? Oh, I will say I'm loving getting out of the political beat. You know, uh, in past outlets that I worked for, as a part of my foreign policy coverage, I effectively had to cover domestic policy to a certain extent because they inform each other. But at Sandbox, I'm the boss. And uh, <laughs> so I said very it's, early on. It's my Sandbox? It's my. Actually, I think it's more fair to say that it's the board member's Sandbox. Yeah. But I'm, I'm the landlord. I'm site management. And, uh, but, you know, establishing, our, establishing ourselves early on as an apolitical outlet wasn't just because I think the world needs that. It's, it was also because your for my person. own sanity, <laughs> I needed to get out of your personal well-being yeah. yeah no you're obviously a a quality quality decision uh on uh on your part what about um so um yeah odd times we live in today um what are you writing about on sandbox i mean there's been a lot of ufo stuff there has been a ton of UFO stuff lately. And every I time to, I think of UFOs, I think of you. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. And, I'll, you know, 10-year-old Alex would squeal with delight to hear that. <laughs> I was that nerdy kid with a U.S. map on my wall that I put pins in in places where I was able to read about a UFO sighting. And, of course, the Internet wasn't a thing yet because I'm a 1,000. Uh, so it was books. I would check books out at the library. Uh, you know, and find, okay, it says that they saw some mil, uh, some UFOs in Milwaukee. Go stick a pin in Milwaukee. Eventually, I had different colored pins for close encounters of the oh, first, really? second, third kind. I was a pretty insufferable nerd when I was a kid. Not That's... like the cool guy I am today. What do you find most intriguing about UFOs? Uh, so as a kid, I think it's because I firmly believed that we were being visited uh, by an alien life form. As an adult, I'm really I, – I don't have any certainty there anymore. I uh, And a lot of times people even accuse me of being a skeptic, but it's not that I'm – I, oh, I'm not a skeptic. They accuse you of absolutely because you know when I cover UFOs, I am almost always going, "Well, this could very easily have been blank." Well, yeah, but don't you have a responsibility as a UFO lover to be able to sort out the wheat from the chaff? That is exactly how I see it. I appreciate you saying that because I always say I'm highly skeptical because I love stories that I cannot explain away. You know, the Nimitz incident in 2004 where a lot of that footage, two of the three videos that have made headlines in recent years came from, that's a weird one, man. I have a theory where I say, you know, these laser-induced uh, plasma filament holograms that the U.S. Navy is working on could feasibly have done that. But the U.S. Navy patented the idea of trying in 2018. So 14 years prior, it's really unlikely that they had an effective system to test and if they did, they certainly wouldn't test it against one of our own carrier strike groups. That doesn't make sense. That's an interesting story to me. But then when I hear about, you know, uh, the Phoenix Lights, which I couldn't explain away that specific one, but I can tell you that in the western states of the United States, at least once a year, the Air Force airlift uh, uh, initiatives, they'll have huge formations of C-17s and C-130s flying in a V formation across western states. It happens every year. Every year there's a there's a rash of UFO sightings that come along with it. And every year a lot of outlets say, were there UFOs? You could check, you know, you could you could check pretty easily. You can find out on Twitter now with flight tracking software. Uh, so I think that part of the problem with covering UFOs is that a certain element of the media that does it uh, kind of leans into the sensationalism just like we do for everything, right? And because of that, it makes UFOs kind of, I would contend, very similar to how we've seen in some things politically lately. There's so much garbage out there that it gets really tough to kind of pick out the good stuff. And when you do pick out the good stuff, you tend to get attacked because – 
confirmation bias has become like grounds for combat these days. Well, you know, I think you lost all your credibility with the UFO folks when you went on your little satire about if they get out of their vehicles and try to overrun Area 51. By the time you get 150 yards away from your car, your tennis shoes are going to be destroyed, right? You're going to be in level one heat stroke. Yes, and, uh, and all the red. And if you're very, very lucky, <laughs> a corman's going to show up. And all the red and all the Red Bulls you've been ingesting are not going to help you at that point. Mountain Dew Code Red does not work <laughs> for storming installations. Exactly. So I know that that did not go over very well with that crew. Okay, you, you know what? You, it went you... over great for me though, because <laughs> after that, a CW show decided to make an episode about how crazy that would be. And they brought me on as a guest to explain, you know, uh, to explain away. Once again, this goes back to the reason you love Christmas. Just a selfish kid. It's only, Uh, it's only about me. I mean, nowadays it's also about my daughter. I'm willing to extend my selfishness. You know, you, you, and you are consistent about that. You are, uh, you are a, a doting father. I got an email. That's not, uh, it's not real pleasant. But I I, I, I want to read it. Um, I was talking about uh, – I don't understand how you go overboard on a ship. I, I lived on an aircraft carrier. Uh, we were deployed a lot uh, while I was on it uh, over the course of two years. We were gone over a year of, of my time on the USS Ranger. And, um, you know, and I lived on the thing every day. And I'm honestly I, interested to hear your perspective on this I, I, I never have served on a ship. I can understand – if you're um, if you're uh, on the flight deck, and for some reason, and that's a pretty disciplined, button-down place, the flight deck. It is not people like up there, you know, goofing off and not paying attention. It's a dangerous place, right? So, but I can understand that somebody not paying attention, right? Somebody coming from the catwalk, which is down below, off to the side of the flight deck, not realizing an aircraft's turning. Walking up on the flight deck, and then as as the jet turns, poof, get launched off, you know, off the flight deck. Those guys all have, you know, life vests on all the time. They're saltwater activated. You know, you tend to be able to, you know, I can understand that. Everything else, I don't understand. I don't understand. Honestly, I, having, I, I having mean, never served on a ship, I. I the one thing that can make – I guess the closest thing that I can compare it to is a cruise ship because I've done a lot of those because really? my wife does not really like to to go on vacations that aren't comfortable. I like to go see pyramids and stuff. So a cruise ship was like a good compromise. It is incredibly difficult to find a place to fall off one of those. But I would assume carriers would be easier. So it's, I'm, I, I value your perspective where you can say, no, it's really not easy. Well, to, any place that – I mean, so there's the three wire rails all over the place, right? Uh, there's bar rails most places when you walk out. So I don't know. There might be five bars that, that are horizontal uh, when there's not something there that blocks you. And there's only it's, – it's not like there's a promenade deck on like on the Titanic that you go walking around. Where you could go hang out. Right. There's yeah. sponsons that you – you know, that, that in theory you would go out – you know, you go out on. Most of them, you know, there's, there's functional reasons why we have that sponson. It holds a gun turret or it held a gun turret at one time. It is the way we put the brow and we – in port, we, we go off and on the ship from this sponson. On the fantail, on the back – um, when we're at sea, that's how we throw garbage out. So it's got to have an opening. Um, yeah, that's what we do when we're the Navy, not the most <laughs> ecologically friendly organization. I know you're going to get some letters about that. <laughs> in case you don't know that. Um, hey, technically speaking, though, I mean, you're kind of I, I would say carbon credit e- like even seeing as the nuclear power plant doesn't produce any emissions, whereas for those that have, every other carrier on the planet is diesel. Right. For those that have them. I mean, let me tell you, what do you think they do with the greasy ass trip wires after they get they count every trap for every wire? Right. One. Yep. Number one had one. Number three had two. Number four had seven. Number, you know, all that. What do you think the Navy does with those greasy ass nasty trip, trip wires when they're done with them? Honestly, I'd imagine throw them overboard. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, so like, when you see when you see SpongeBob walking with a cable, like uh, and Squidward, right, with a cable wrapped around his head, you know where it came from. Your United States Navy. <laughs> that's that's, a, that's what they do. I I remember like watching like. Did they just do that? Like, I, hey, we're out here in the middle of the ocean. Like, well, I promise it wasn't the Iranian Navy. They can't get out there. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> so here's the um, it's this, and it's a serious, uh, uh, yeah, you know, because always... because his daughter's uh, an officer in the United States Navy. Um, I worry that some percentage of these overboard incidents are murder, such as the lieutenant on his third cruise that came up missing in the Met a couple of years ago. I have a hard time believing an experienced sailor falls off a ship. I know some are suicides. There was a I'm great there yeah. was a great story about an accidental overboard on a carrier about twenty years ago. Dude went out one of the doors on the side of the carrier that opens onto a small sponson. He was enjoying a smoke in the dark when the door swings open and knocks him off the platform into the sea. Of course, no one noticed him being gone until later the following day. I don't recall how long he had to tread water, but he was eventually picked up by a local fishing boat. He borrowed a cell phone, called his mom first while being taken to shore. Incredibly good fortune. Yeah, yeah, that's incredibly good fortune. I don't know. I'm inclined to agree. I think it would be – I think – you know, Occam's razor, right? You should all like the the solution that requires the fewest assumptions is probably right, right? And that is the, th- that is the footnote to Occam's razor. Yeah, yeah. Just so and you I, know, and I he was being I, in, he was being intellectual right there. Doing my best anyway. I'm yes. playing pretend, but but when I when I think about how a sailor finds themselves in the water off of a large vessel like this, right? Not a fast attack boat, right. not a rigid inflatable, but you're on a, a legitimate warship or, you know, larger destroyer or bigger and you end up in the water. Right. I have to assume it's pretty difficult to do if only because it's not something that happens often, right? So if it's fairly difficult to do, then my next assumption would be that there was intent behind it, right? Obviously, some obviously crazy accidents can happen, 100%. Uh, but in circumstances like this, it's not unreasonable for me to assume that either the person who ended up in the water intended to get there or someone else intended to put them there. Right. Uh, I don't think that those are unreasonable assertions. I don't know what the evidence points to in this right. case. Right. But uh, no, I think that that's a really reasonable way to look at it. If it's difficult to end up in the water, then more often than not, when you end up in the water, there was intent behind it, right? right. Well, and then again, I mean, you uh... – you know, it's just so you're out in the middle of the sea. Somebody falls. I cannot up. imagine a sailor choosing that form of suicide, though. How awful! You well, know? I mean, if they don't have access to anything else, I guess you're right. right? Yeah, but they, I, they don't have access I to weapons. I personally am afraid like. of the water, so that just sounds. Well, I mean, when you oh, think about that, like if somebody goes off the the ship, then what? Well, the ship's got to turn around, yeah. right? And and it's not it's not a short ordeal. No, no, no. And then you're out you're, you're out in the, in the ocean. And again, depending on the sea state, um, depending on that person's ability to swim in the ocean, uh, we're not talking about your local fucking public pool. We're talking yeah, about we're the not ocean. about treading water at swim qual. No, and you know the water temperature out there, depending on what part of the world you're in. So, and if you're in a carrier. You know, you're in a carrier battle group and there's other ships and hopefully somebody's behind you that can swing by and, and, and pluck somebody out. But it's not it's not easy geometry in terms of turning assuming, ships and fi- that you get, that you see them, right? And assuming that you're not really badly injured from the fall, right. you know? I mean, it's not a short fall. I don't know how uh, – I don't know how high a carrier is above the waterline. But I do know having, you know, been on one or two, never served, but just walked around on one, it's a, it's a pretty significant drop. Oh my God! Yeah, it's probably you know the equivalent of dropping off a you know third or fourth story. Again, depending on where you are on the ship. The equivalent um, of dropping off a four-story apartment building that happens to be moving at thirty knots. Right, 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 right. You know the um the other part um is um I lost I lost my train of thought. I I don't because when you're in the middle of the ocean, you know you're like looking around like well. What do we do if if that in fact happens, and um, and then you know oh I know what I was going to say. So while you're underway, and this is what evidently triggered this search, 
a um, there's a thing called Sponson Watch, and that is Petty Officer Hollings or Seaman Hollings goes out and he stands or she stands on the Sponson with their you know their uh, you know that they, they have a a uh, kind of a life jacket thing they flip on their sh- over their head and around their waist and they um and their job is to watch the water go by sponsor watch and uh yeah it's like it's like sentry duty and you're in case somebody goes in the water your job is to see them that's your job and so even while you're underway now i it would surprise me and that was in 1987 that i was on the ranger um but it would surprise me if they did not have uh, cameras uh, that backed Agreed. up that system so that you would know without question, you know, if somebody went into the water, you would have video of it. Yeah. Right? And so, anyway, I, my, we were in the Persian Gulf. Well, we're in the North Arabian Sea. We're less than 50 miles off the coast of Iran. We're at general quarters. The Marines are out on the sponsons, uh, manning machine guns. And all of a sudden, there's like this light explosion on the um, below the angle deck, about amidship, and there are Marines underneath there. And all of a sudden, these sailors start yelling, "Hey, there was just something that flashed!" And, you know. And so I called down to my Marines that are there, and I said, "Hey, Gun Five, did you see something? A, a flash of light? They're like, sir, it might have been a light bulb that's recessed in." The, in the hole that we use in port that, that, that somehow the shorted, but yeah, we saw it, but it, other than that, there's no fire. There's no nothing. All right. Got it. So I report that in. So I used to make a head call, right? And this is in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, we were always conscious of the Iranians coming out and fucking with us. And that's why the Marines were out there. So anyway, um, I would say, Hey, I'm going to be off for 60 seconds. Um, I'm going to make a, a piss call. All right. I'll yell when I'm back. So I run to the head. So I would come back and I could hear them talking shit to each other, right? <laughs> and so I wouldn't say I was back right away just to listen to them. So I said, hey, I, I got to make a head call. So when I come back, I put the headset back on. And I, all of a sudden I hear, hey, you won't believe this. What? Well, some squid. So they're out there with their night vision goggles, right? Some yep. Some squid came out. He drops his pants. And he's doing a bit of self-gratification out here on the spots. Oh, my And God. you can hear the other Marines like screaming and laughing. And they're, they're sound-powered phones, so they're telling their guys that they're standing with the story. And you can hear that in the background. And they're laughing. And then they're like, so what was the flash? And, like, we took a picture. And they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> if the lieutenant finds out he's gonna kill you and then i just said i just said come see me right now <laughs> right oh, and then you hear works. then you heard all these other guys scream oh fuck the lieutenant was listening <laughs> <laughs> and i and so i can't remember corporal or sergeant comes up to see me in combat information center and i said i want that picture when it's developed <laughs> He's like, yes, sir. I said, that's a fucking order, too. He said, yes, sir. And I said, don't ever fucking do that again. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I see that's the power of being a good officer. I I distinctly recall when our adjutant. Well, uh, come on. I, don't you kind of have to? If somebody's going to walk outside and do that, and they don't know you're there, and you're watching on night vision goggles. On night vision goggles. <laughs> <laughs> you're watching literally that piece of. You know, ridiculousness. Uh, with I, all I, respect, to, with all due respect to M- MTV, you're watching that, and you're not going to take a picture of it. And you're a marine. Come on. Yeah, I, uh, we were going I, into a place called Al Qaim in 2004, out by uh, the Syrian border, and I was with General Kelly at the time. And so I'm in this vehicle, and I'm sitting behind the driver. And so my job is, you know, your rifle's got to be pointed out the window. You're looking in your little sector, and you do that for the two-hour drive, right? So we're driving in, and I can't remember the sergeant, you know, call him Sergeant Hollings. He's vehicle commander. And we drive by, and and he was taking pictures. I said, hey, Sergeant Hollings, did you get a picture of that cow? Right? So his cow's on his back, dead, with like four hoofs up to the sky. 
And he goes, oh, no, sir, I missed it. Shit. So now on the way home, I he's on the other side, right? So I don't see him. So the, I don't see the cow. And I don't know what gender the cow was. I just said he. But anyway, um, so this sergeant, Hollings, turns around and says, hey, sir, I got a picture of the cow. I said, really? And he said, yeah, it was. it's good. I said, oh, really, why? And he says, because a dog was eating his ass this time. <laughs> exactly. Right? And it's like so quintessentially rude. Wait till I show this to my friends. Like, Wait, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, right? And you're like, where do we get such men? And then they put their blues where on. Where do we get such men? <laughs> where, where do we go? Then when they put their blues on and go to a funeral and everybody looks at them like, Oh my God! Thank you so much. And you're like, lady, don't stand too close to him, please. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Trust me, <laughs> he might bite I, uh, you. I will never forget being on duty and reading. It wasn't. Uh, I think it was Angels and Demons. Uh, not the Da Vinci Code, but the next book by the same guy. I'm blanking on his name now. Who wrote the Da Vinci Code? Whatever. Tom Hanks. Uh, and Angels and Demons. Uh, Tom Hanks's character from the movie, the main character of the Da Vinci Code, is at uh, is at the Vatican. And as I'm sitting there on duty, I'm on phone watch, which for anybody who's never stood phone watch is where you watch a phone in case it'll ring. Uh, so H- hence, on, hence the cryptic name. Yes, exactly. I'm sitting there on phone watch, and we've got our rover on duty uh, on each level of the barracks. Another, right? so, another, another cryptic name. Yeah, that rover's job is to rove for 24 hours. You know, you walk in a circle around that one deck of the barracks. Uh, these are the joys of being a, a private first class in the Marine Corps. And as I'm reading through the, the Angels and Demons, and I get to the part about the Vatican Guard, the Swiss Guard, which are, uh, if you see pictures of the Vatican, they're the guys who kind of look like court jesters with a giant spear. They're dressed in a way that looks ridiculous, but they're actually really highly trained, highly disciplined uh, you know, security officials, if you will. They are on loan from Switzerland. They are a very elite group of warfighters, if you will. Uh, and so the book was trying its best to kind of convey that, that even though they look kind of silly in this outfit, you really don't want to fuck with these guys. And the way that he described it was, you know, they were moving with the technical proficiency and the sheer confidence that you could usually say was only reserved for the United States Marine Corps. Ooh. And I'm, as I'm reading this part, I look up at the phone watch – or excuse me, the roving watch silently doing the Macarena as he walks <laughs> past my window on roving watch to keep the barracks secure. And I couldn't help but think like if only people knew. If only they knew. <laughs> if only they knew that we are not the robotic war machines. However, like though, to go back to the start of this program – we can be if we so choose. You can choose. turn it on. You flick the switch. Right. And we will be out there for 15 hours rehearsing in yes. no matter what weather it is because, God damn it, this is the way we do it. Honestly, right? that's why Marines have the best senses of humor because you need to be able to laugh in the middle of some pretty difficult circumstances. Right. You know? Right. Do it right. We'll do it. <laughs> if you don't think we'll stay out here all night, you don't. Uh, how's it going? Going great, sir. Yeah, everything's good. Everything's real good. good. All right. Well, Merry Christmas, and uh, tell everybody where they find your work since we didn't talk about any of it. Yeah, we'll make sure since we didn't talk about it. You got it now. You have to read it. So swing by sandboxnews.com. That's sandbox with two X's. We've got a bunch of great content going out today. I'm working on editing a story from a guy whose pen name is Frumentarius. He was a Navy SEAL before becoming a CIA officer. He's now the captain of a fire station, and he wrote an, a Christmas ode to the miserable miserable bastards who were his buds instructors that I think people will really enjoy. I've got an article coming out about the Buren, which was the Soviet space shuttle that they literally built using stolen plans for our own space shuttle. It even flew in space. Not that we ever talk about that. I've got some other really good stuff coming from Ahmad Hassan. We just hired him. He's uh, he works in the London-based intelligence contractor, and he's got some great stuff coming about the Wagner Group, which if you're not familiar with them, they're kind of the Russian mis- mercenaries that Moscow uses for things that they want to pretend that they can deny. There's a bunch of really good stuff coming out on Sandbox News throughout the rest of December. So if you get some time off from work for the holidays, rest assured that we won't. 
so you can keep coming and reading really good stuff every day. And uh, please follow me on social media. It's at Alex Hollings Writer on Facebook, at Alex Hollings 52 on Twitter, and you can swing by alexhollings.com uh, for a bunch of really outdated information about me or, you know, just to send me an email <laughs> telling me how much you hated my last article. Cool. I appreciate it. Just send a Merry Christmas and we love you. Right. And don't be afraid to spend it at home. So, yeah, damn yeah, right. Congratulations. I'm even happy that your mother now knows. So, uh, so good for you. Yeah, and I'm happy too because I got to dodge that phone call now. I'll just, <laughs> I'll get one from her. No, you'll just, you'll just have to do the cleanup on that one. So, exactly. anyway. all right, all right, but have a good, have a good Christmas. Thank you. You too, man. There you have it. The one and only Alex Hollings here on a Monday edition of All Marine Radio, and coincidentally. Uh, that'll do it. Um, another email about being overboard. Um, I've never been to see your comments are interesting. I've always wondered how that happens. Yeah. I'm always, my first instinct after, uh, some of the incidents that happened, um, is that hopefully the person's hiding. Uh, when I saw this report, um, uh, that wasn't really, you know, high on my list because it was reported by a sponsor watch. When you get the report that, you know, did not show up for muster, you know, I think now your first instinct hopefully is, yeah, maybe they're hiding on a ship. That happened, what, twice last year? So, but when a sponsor watch says, yeah, we, uh, I saw somebody in the water. Um, yeah, that's a little bit different. But it, again, it, you know, I think uh, Kurt Knowles, F-18 man, describes aviation accidents. And you'll hear this term used as the, the Swiss cheese model. And so take a piece of Swiss cheese, um, and each one of those pieces of Swiss cheese are from a different block of cheese. And then you put them in a stack, and lo and behold, there's a hole, right, or a gap in every one of those pieces of cheese that lines up. Okay, all from different blocks. But there's a space that's empty through every one of those pieces of holes that lines up. That's the Swiss cheese model, right? Improbability on top of improbability on top of improbability. So, um, yeah. And again, I'd be surprised now. If the Navy doesn't have every one of their sponsons, doesn't have some kind of camera coverage, so they can say definitively, this is how they went overboard. I, would, I Honestly, I would be shocking. Now, the next question is, do all those cameras work? And if, uh, yeah, wouldn't surprise me to learn that, uh, no, at any given time, like 70% of them don't work. So, anyway, um, Ken and Betty Rogers tomorrow, which uh, don't you don't want to miss that. Um, if you... Uh, if you do a search on, I believe, I Married the War. Let me see what you get. IMarriedTheWar.com Check it out. So they're in the process of uh, completing their film. And... Uh, Yep. Interesting. Um, they're going to change. I don't think this documentary is going to. This documentary is going to be a big deal. So, anyway, um, they'll join me here tomorrow. So, don't miss it. On a Monday, have a great day. Don't be afraid to change somebody's life. I am out.